Well, good morning. Hope you guys are well. As everybody's already mentioned, it is very cold outside. Uh, I can't believe how cold it is, how quickly it got cold. Yesterday, it was like 70 degrees in the morning, and by the evening, it was freezing. Um, but today, we're here. We're gathered together. It is the beginning of the year, and real, I guess winter is, is here um, and we're gathered together to celebrate, to celebrate what God has done in 2021, but also what the Lord is going to do in 2022. And as I thought about what, what, what kind of message should we kick off the new year with, um, I came to this message to talk about hope, because as Ryan mentioned earlier, this has been a, a, a difficult year, a difficult couple of years. There's all kind of things that are up in the air, um, but, but I want us to know that we have hope that we have hope in Christ. And so we're going to focus on that this morning. We're uh, going to look at Isaiah chapter 2, chapter 11. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 5 as well. I did send out a video um, and an email this last week. Hopefully you received that, kind of talking about a new format for Wednesday night, how we're going to be discussing the sermon, and then also how each week you're going to receive just a short video or email that, that talks about what we're going to be talking about on Sunday as well as the text. And my hope is that you will spend some time prior to the message on Sunday reading over the text that I'm going to be preaching on. We won't always be in multiple texts like we are today. Typically we're going to be working through a book or at least one chapter in, in Scripture. But, but hopefully you will spend some time reflecting on that, maybe writing down some points, writing down some questions that you might have, and that you would come on Wednesday night uh, looking to discuss what we have talked about the text. We're going to look at it in more detail, of course, than what we are able to sometimes here on Sunday morning and, and be able to explore maybe some of the questions that you have. And so hopefully you'll find that new format um, engaging as well as it will be helpful for when you come on Sunday. You're ready to hear God's Word because you've already explored it and you're ready to, you're oriented to the text and ready to hear what, what God has to say from the text that we're going to be looking at. So Isaiah chapter 2 is where we're going to begin this morning. Let me go to the Lord in prayer and then we will dive in. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity for us to gather together as a church. We thank you for a new year, Lord God, and we, uh, we do. We proclaim your hope, our hope in you as this new year begins. And God, as we walk through this message today, would you, would you instill a sense of hope in us? Would you help us to understand that, that we do, in fact, have hope? And not in the things of this world, not in just some, some fanciful wishes, but that we do have hope in you and you alone. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, to be sure, we are uh, one of the most blessed people in history, right? We, we live in a time of technological advancement never before seen. We're able to communicate with those that we have as friends or loved ones who are in other, in other countries, who are in other cities. We're able to do business from home. We're able to travel around the world uh, with ease, maybe not so much during COVID, but, you know, just in general, there are airplanes and there are, you know, ships and there's all kind of ways in which we can travel around this world and we can do so with ease. We can live in in in, in hospitable climates thanks to air conditioning and heating and boy do we need 
heat this morning, don't we? We have access to pretty much anything that we want via a phone in our pocket. We don't even have to go to the grocery store to shop. We can just go on the app and type in what we want, and we can have somebody deliver that, or we can just drive up to the store and someone will bring that, those groceries out and put them in our car. We live in one of the most productive and connected times in history. We have conveniences like no one has ever experienced ever before in history. And while the world in which we live is better in some sense than before, deep down inside, we know that this world is not supposed to be the way that it is. We know that that things are not supposed to be broken in the way that they are. We know that we're not supposed to be in a pandemic that has lasted, you know, almost two years now. And that's why we're constantly seeking something more. And in some sense, that's, that's a good thing because it, it helps with these technological advances. It helps so that life becomes better. But, but in another sense, it also shows us that there is still something more, something that, that, we, that we naturally long for that we haven't reached yet. And the beginning of the new year is, is often a time for us to think about those things. It's a time for us to think about those things that that we have not yet accomplished. It's a time for us to think about and reflect on the year that that just went by and then on the year that is to come, on those things that that we hope for, those things that we wish for, those things that we dream of. New Year is a time for us to do that, to reflect. And as Christians, it is also an opportunity to us to reflect on Jesus. You know, I can't help but consider Jesus and who he is as I I begin to reflect on the past year and as I begin to reflect on the year to come. And as I consider the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022, I'm reminded that Jesus has not yet returned. You know, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to this earth. Uh, He was born as a baby in a manger. He then grew up and and in 30 years, he, he saw himself be nailed to a cross. But death did not hold Jesus. The grave did not hold Jesus. He miraculously resurrected from the grave and he ascended into heaven with the promise that he was going to return, with the promise that he was going to bring a new kingdom, a kingdom that would set everything right. But here we are 2,000 years later or so and Jesus has yet to return as the conquering king that he said that he would. And for some, that might be a stumbling block. All that, that time, especially given the world in which we live, the world that is, that is full of, of fear and pain and sickness and death and, and war and hatred and oppression, all of that time without Jesus coming and doing something about that might cause people to rethink their belief. It might cause people to rethink their hope in Jesus. It's just this, it's just this uh, a story about someone who says that they're going to do this, but, but they have not yet done that. Should I continue to believe in Jesus? Should I continue to place my hope in him? Or is there someone or something else that I should place my hope in in the new year? These are questions that people might be asking themselves. But here's the thing, as we reflect on the, on the passing of another year, I do not want you to lose hope. I do not want you to, to lose hope and think that Jesus is not going to return. Instead, we are reminded that we must continue to wait for our King who will bring a perfect kingdom. The texts that we look at today show us that the kingdom that, that Jesus is going to bring 
is one that, that we could never create on our own. It is one that, that we should continue to hope in. And I want to show you that here this morning. The first thing that we're going to see is that a perfect future kingdom awaits those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In the beginning of, of chapter 2 of, of Isaiah, he, he paints this picture for us. And he tells us that, that Jesus will rule over all the nations, teaching them and providing peace. If we pick up there in, in verse 2 of, of chapter 2 of Isaiah, he says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. And so what we see here is, is God's promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all of the nations. We see that this is going to come true, that, that God is doubling down on this promise and that people from every nation, tongue, and tribe are going to come to the God of Israel. They're going to come to Yahweh. And those who come will not only receive his teaching, but they are going to experience peace. So look at verse 4. He shall judge between the nations. And shall decide disputes for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so Isaiah tells us that when Jesus returns, men will no longer fear one another. Which means that there will be no need to stockpile weapons. There will be no need for, for these alliances to be created between nations or, or organizations that are supposed to keep the peace. We won't need any of those because Jesus is going to finally and fully put an end to war. I mean, you notice here that he says that, that you can take your spears and you can take your swords and you can put them into plowshares, into pruning hooks. That nation will not lift up sword against nation any longer. We will not need any of these weapons of war because Jesus is going to bring peace. You see, Jesus is able to do what no man, no country, no alliance can because he alone has the power to finally and fully reverse the effects of the fall. Amen. In other words, Jesus is able to bring about a kingdom of peace because he's the only one who can deal with that which causes disunity. And you know what causes disunity? That's sin. And there's sin in each and every single one of us. And this is why we need Jesus to come and why we need him to deal with that. You see, sin or rebellion against God is really what that is. That, that, is, what, that is what's broke the world. It has turned it on its head. It, it has corrupted God's original design for us to live at peace with one another, for us to live at peace with, with the world, for us to live at peace with God. See, because we have rebelled against God, we do not have peace. But Isaiah, he, he paints this picture of the future. A, a picture of, of these, the, the way in which the world should, should function originally. We see this here in verse 6 of chapter 11. And so if you turn over there to chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse 6, just think, think about how this would not happen in this world but something drastic has to take place in order for these things that we're about to read to take place. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. 
The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. Imagine letting your kid do that. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, the only way that this is going to take place, the only way that, that this type of world is going to take place is if Jesus does something about the world in which we live. If the fall is completely reversed and completely turned on its head, sin is completely eradicated. And the way that God brings about this reversal is through Jesus. And so turn way over with you, Mill, if you will, with me to Revelation chapter 21. And we see there in in verse 5 that Jesus is going to make all things new. So way over there in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. I'll turn there with you because... You know, I'm asking you to turn there. It's all the way over at the very end of the Bible. And he says here in Revelation 21, 5, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he is able to do this because, what does he say? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And to the one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. You see, Jesus is going to make all things new. He is going to do that because he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. Because he is the one who is the creator he is the one who is, who is more powerful than anyone in this entire world. He is the one that we should hope in and hope in alone because he is the one who can bring that about. Jesus is going to do away with all evil and all chaos. And we know this by the mentioning of the word sea, which in biblical times was thought of as this dark place that is just full of evil and chaos. You see, in biblical times, they did not have, um, you know, scuba diving equipment or submarines or anything like that. And we see this here in, in 21.1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You see, the sea was thought of as a place of chaos, of disorder. They didn't have, like I said, scuba diving equipment. They didn't have submarines to be able to go down and peer below the sea. They thought of the sea as just this place of evil because, well, boats would go out and boats would not return. People would, would fall off of ships and they would never be rescued again. They would fall into the sea. It was just thought of this place as, as chaos, this thing of, of destruction. And John tells us here that the sea is going to be done away with. Now, I don't believe that it doesn't mean that we're not going to have any seas, but what, I'm, what I believe he's saying, he's using this imagery that people would, would be very familiar with, and he's telling them, look, I'm going to do away with all of the evil and all of the chaos. The, 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 the chaotic sea is going to be conquered. 
It is going to be stilled. You do not have to worry about that any longer. I am the one who is going to set things right. And not only will Jesus recreate the world, but but down in verse 8, we also learn that those who are evil will be removed from the kingdom to come. And so look down in 7 and 8 again. But as for the cowardly, he says, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And so, not only is Jesus going to do away with all of the things in the world that are evil and chaotic, and He's going to calm all of that and make everything right and bring in new heavens and a new earth, but all of those who are evil, all of those who He lists out here are faithless, detestable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, none of those folks will be a part of the kingdom to come. Their, their portion will be in the lake of fire. They will be removed from this world. Unless we think ourselves better than others, the only reason that Christians are able to, to enter into this new creation, this world that Jesus is going to bring, no, the only reason that we are able to live in the kingdom to come for all of eternity with Jesus as our King in this perfect world is because of what Jesus has done for us. So we'll stick in the book of Revelation, but turn over to chapter 5 with me. Revelation chapter 5. There, John, he paints the picture that we read earlier of the, of the 24 elders who are worshiping. They're bowing down before the throne of God. They're singing a new song. And their song is worth us taking a look at because it's, it's, it centers on Jesus and it tells us why we are able to enter into the new creation. I'm not going to read this in its, in its entirety because we did read this during our time of Scripture reading earlier. But starting in verse 9, he says this, Worthy are you, speaking of Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see here, he tells us the reason why we are able to enter into the new creation is not because of anything that we have done. Instead, it is everything. It has to do with what Jesus has done for us. Jesus has ransomed us. In other words, Jesus has bought us back from the wrath of God. And the way that he has bought us back from the wrath of God is by paying the price for us. Jesus died in our place. You see, the wages of sin is death, and Jesus died so that we might have life, so that we might be able to enter into the perfect kingdom to come. A kingdom that we cannot, and that there's no way that we can enter into on the basis of our own work on the basis of our own sacrifice, on the basis of our own merit. No, we enter into the kingdom to come based on what Jesus has done alone, which is appropriated to us. When we repent of our sins, when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, when we exercise faith in Jesus' death on our behalf, we are released from the wrath of God. And it is by faith alone in Jesus' work alone, that we are able to live in this perfect kingdom, that we are able to have hope. 
And I don't know about you, but, but I long for the new kingdom. I long for Jesus to come back and to, to make everything new again. But, but in some sense, that longing is not just one of Christians. Right? Everyone in this world longs for something more. They long for a better place. One different than the one that we are currently experiencing. We see that longing in, in the stories that, that we tell in the technology that we create, in the laws and policies that people attempt to pass, these things clue us into the fact that man's natural longing is for a better world. But in and of ourselves, we will never experience this perfect utopian world for which we all long. We are incapable to bring it about, and we are incapable of bringing this about because of the core issue, and that core issue is sin. It is sin that affects every single one of us, which means that we cannot fix this world. We cannot ultimately fix this world. We can bring about incremental change here and there. And as I talked about when we opened this, this sermon this morning, there, there has been incremental change that we have brought about, things that make, maybe make our life a bit more convenient. But we can never fix the world like it needs to be fixed. No technology, no law, no, no politician can change this world. That doesn't mean that, as we're going to see in a minute, we shouldn't, we shouldn't try to do these things. We shouldn't try to create it. We shouldn't try to, try to legislate. We certainly should try to do those things. But, but here's the thing. We cannot ultimately place our hope in those things. Instead, we have to place our hope in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's because Jesus is the only one who can bring about the kingdom for which we all long Jesus is the only one who can do that because Jesus is the only one who can finally and fully deal with sin. And Jesus did that on the cross. And Jesus will continue to do that at His second coming. And so yes, Jesus has come, but He must come again in order for us to experience all of what Isaiah talks about here, all of what Isaiah predicted. Revelation tells us that. Isaiah paints a picture of, of the kingdom to come. And then Revelation tells us that, that Jesus must come again in order for that to take place. And so we must continue to hope in Jesus. We must not, we must not say, oh, well, well, Jesus hasn't returned yet. And so we're going to place our hope in something else. As we see here, Jesus is the only one in which, who, can, who can do something about the world in which we live. Nothing else can fix this broken world in which we live. No one else can fix that. No technology, nothing can fix that. Only Jesus and Jesus alone. And so we must continue to hope in Him each and every single day. You can think of it like, like this. On June 6, 1944, more than 160,000 Allied troops landed along that 50-mile stretch of beach in France. A beach that was heavily fortified by the Nazis. And while more than 9,000 Allied soldiers either died or were wounded that day in the battle known as D-Day, by day's end, the invasion had proved successful. And once the D-Day battle was won, there was, there was little doubt that the Germans were going to be defeated. And learning of, of the D-Day victory, those who remained in the towns and those who remained in the prisons still occupied by the Nazis, well, they felt this renewed sense of hope. Because they knew that the war was going to come to an end. They knew that, that that victory was going to come at some point. 
And they live with that renewed sense of hope until VE Day happened. And that wasn't until May 1945. Finally, Victory Day came. Finally, they were released from those prisons. Finally, they knew that that they were not going to be killed by the Nazis. Finally, they were able to really celebrate. And while they had that renewed sense of hope, while they had that sense of expectation and anticipation in between D-Day and V-E Day, Victory Day did not, they really did not fully embrace victory until Victory Day occurred. And similarly, that's where, that's where we live. We kind of live in this in-between, in-between D-Day, if you will, that marked the, the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, and V-E Day, which marks Jesus' return. Just like the soldiers in the camps knew that VE Day was coming, we, knew, we know that it is coming as well. We don't know when it's coming, but we know that it is coming because the nail has already been driven into the tree and the stone has already been rolled back. Sin, Satan, and death has suffered a mortal wound from which, we will never, from which it will never recover. Knowing sure victory is coming, we should not give up hope. We should continue to wait. We should continue to watch. We should continue to pray for Jesus' triumphant entry for VE Day to come. And all of those who continue to hope in Jesus will one day experience this perfect future kingdom that God has prepared for them. And so don't get frustrated. Don't lose hope. Know that that victory day is coming and all of those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior will experience life in this perfect future kingdom. Now, this is something that we're waiting for. This is something that we're hoping for. And so what are we to do now while we're we're living here, while we're living in the in-between? Certainly we don't just live you know, in anticipation of the future and we just, we just think about that and that's it. No, there are things that we are to do while we remain, while we wait for Jesus to return. And the Bible tells us that we should work for the good of our cities. And we see this in Jeremiah chapter 29. So turn over there with me, Jeremiah chapter 29. In Jeremiah chapter 29, we see that what we, excuse, we, we learn what we are supposed to do. And we are supposed to work for the good of our cities. And so why should we work to bring about change? Well, we should work to bring about change for the same reason that Judah was supposed to work to bring about change in Babylon. You see, as you read through the, the history of, of Israel, the, the history of Israel is, is one of a rebellious people, of a people who did not do what the Lord asked them to do and and as you read through the history, you also see that there was a civil war and, and, and the nation split in two. You had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. And eventually Israel was taken off into captivity by the Assyrians. And then later, and this is what J- Jeremiah is talking about, Judah is taken off by the Babylonians. And before they left, uh, many of the false prophets told the people, look, you're only going to be gone for for two short years and then you are going to be coming back to Jerusalem. Well, that wasn't God's plan. 
God didn't plan for them to go just for two short years. No, God planned for them to go for an entire generation. For 70 years, they would be there. And we learn that in Jeremiah 29, 10. And while they would ultimately come back to the promised land, God did not want Judah just to live as exiles while they were there in the promised land. No, God wanted them to take root. And Jeremiah tells us this in in verse 5 of Jeremiah 29. He says this, about the people as they are to leave. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And they were to take root. They were to have sons and daughters. They were to give them in marriage, and they were even to work for the good of the city, he tells them. Think about that. You're being taken into exile by these people who have come in and conquered you, and and the Lord is saying, well, work for the good of the city. That might seem odd, but if you look at the rest of of verse 7, he tells us why. He says, for in its welfare, the city's welfare, you will find your welfare. In other words, as the city prospers, you will prosper. As the city flourishes... Well, you will flourish. And that same idea applies to us. While our home is the kingdom to come, we live here now. And instead of of living as strangers, as exiles, we are to take root. We aren't to live on the fringes. We aren't to pull back. Instead, we are to work for the good of our country. We are to work for the good of our city and our community. And we are to do that because as the city prospers, well, well, we prosper. As the city flourishes, we flourish. And as all of those things prosper and flourish, well, then the gospel is able to go out more easily in the community, in the city, and and in the nation in which we live. And so how do we do that? How are we to work for change? Well, let me just say we aren't to work for change through violence. Instead, we are to work for change in a number of different ways. And one thing is by participating in politics and lawmaking. Now, before you, you write this off, just hear me out. I know not everybody's a politician, but, but laws are, are important. I'm going to start with this quote because I believe it sets us up well. He says this, True justice exists only in the society of God, and this will be truly fulfilled only after the judgment. Nevertheless, while no society on earth can fully express this justice, the one that is more influenced by Christians and Christian teaching will more perfectly reflect a just society. For this reason, Christians have a duty towards government. Now, you notice that this is balanced, right? He's saying, look, things are not going to be perfect. They're not going to be perfect until Jesus returns. But while we are here now, we can help make things better. Because a society that is influenced by Christians is a society that is going to operate better than a society that is not influenced by Christians. And that's because, as the same author goes on to argue, laws express moral beliefs and judgments they tell citizens what our society ought to value and condemn what is worthy of our respect and what we should disapprove of i mean think about all the different laws that have been passed in our country think about you know all of the different things particularly like laws that that result uh, or that that are that are centered around drugs or or the uh, legalization of marijuana 
You know, you think about Colorado in particular, and, and you think about now, I mean, there are probably people there who, who don't believe that, that marijuana is a good thing. They don't believe that it's something that, that, you should, that you should use on a regular basis because it's a drug and, and it's not something that we should be taking part in. But think about a generation or two from now. Uh, that law being on the books, that, that taking place in the society all around people, they're not going to have that big of an issue with that. And that's because laws tell us what we ought to value, what we ought to condemn. And so as believers, one way that, that we can help make this world a better place is to legislate and to be and to participate in politics. That's one way that we can work for the good of the city as we live in the in-between. As I mentioned, that's not something that everybody is going to be able to do. That's not something that's going to be, you know, everybody's cup of tea. But here's something that we all can do. We can truly live as disciples of Jesus. You see, a friend of mine asked me in the past, what if the world actually saw Christians living out their calling? And the reason he asked is because you know, as he looks around, he says, well, there's a lot of people who claim to be Christian. There are a lot of people who, who say that they are followers of Christ, but they're not really following Christ with their life. They just say that they're Christian. They just live in name only, and this really gives Christians a bad name. And as, as these folks go out into the workplace, as these folks go out into their community, well, they don't live any different than those around them. And because they don't live any different than those around them, when, when non-believers look at them and they, and they realize, and this, these people are saying that they're Christians, and, and they, they realize there's no difference between this person who claims to be a Christian and me, who's a non-believer, well, what's the big deal about Christianity? Well, what if, what if we all lived as we were supposed to live, as actual followers of Jesus, if we're going to claim to be Christians, what if... We actually lived that calling out. Think about what kind of witness we would be able to be to those around us. Here's what one author says. It is therefore the church's duty to display in an evil age of self-seeking pride and animosity the life and fellowship of the kingdom of God and the age to come. In other words, what he's getting at here is that that we are to live as new kingdom citizens now. We are to display what that would look like now. Not waiting to the future, you know, when Jesus returns to live as those who are true believers, but, but actually living that out now. And imagine, what if we did that? But what if we lived according to the values of God's word each and every single day and we let other people know that that's what is driving the way in which we live? Imagine the impact that we could have on the community. And that's another way that we can bring about change by actually living distinctly Christian lives. And lastly, we can bring about change by preaching the gospel. And I left this one for last because I believe it's one of the most important, right? I mean, you can legislate, you can make laws, you can, you, can, you can be an influence to other people and maybe influence morality in society, but, but people are really not ultimately going to change unless their heart is changed. And the only way in which their heart can change is through the gospel affecting their heart. Amen. And when someone believes Jesus as their Lord and Savior, well, they experience a true heart change. Their will, their desires, their wants, all of these things change. 
Instead of desiring sin, instead of rebelling against God, their, their desire for God should grow. And that should continue to grow throughout their entire life. There should be a complete change that takes place in their life. And it's that desire that led David in Psalm 51.10 to pray, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Without his heart first being changed, there is no way that he was going to change in the way that he lived. You know, to think that, that we can just put pressure on people to, to live a different way, and then that's really going to bring about true change. Well, that change can, can come, but it's only going to come for a short period of time through, through fear or manipulation. But the way that people truly change is by their hearts being affected by the gospel, which means that we must preach the gospel. We must tell other people about the hope of, of Jesus. And as they believe, their heart will change as well, which should ultimately have an impact on the community that they that we live in, as well as on their daily lives and on their eternal lives. And so if we want to see true change in our country, then we need to preach the gospel. And while all the sin we see every day might tempt us to, to give up hope in the world that Isaiah pictured for us here, that we, that we began to read at the very beginning of our message, we should not grow impatient. Jesus says he is going to return one day, and when Jesus returns, he is going to set everything right. And for now, well, we live in the in-between. And as we do, we should work to make this world a better place. But we should work for the good of our city. We should not be a people who lose hope. And as this Christmas season passes, as we move into the new year, don't grow discouraged. Know that Jesus is coming back. Remember that. Continue to hope in Jesus. Continue to dream of the world to come because our hope is not lost. And that's how you can respond this morning. You can respond this morning by hoping in Jesus. Whether you are a believer or a non-believer, the way that you can respond is by placing your hope in Jesus. And so if you're a Christian here this morning and you say, yes, I, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, well, begin this year with hope in Him and continue to hope in Him through the remainder of 2022. Place your trust and your faith in Him and in nothing and nothing else but in Christ and allow that to affect your everyday life. And if you would admit today that, that you're not a believer, but, but you've been hoping in all of these different things in the world and none of those things has satisfied you and you run from this to that to this to that over and over and over again and you've seen that everything that this world offers is hopeless. Today is an opportunity to come and to believe in that which would provide you with true hope for all of eternity, to believe in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. To repent of your rebellion against God, of, of saying, I can do things my own way. To start this year afresh with Jesus as your Savior. In a moment, we're going to sing. The praise team is going to come. And this is going to be an opportunity for, for you to respond. To respond by helping in Jesus. I'll be down here at, at the front if, if you want to pray. Uh, I'll be happy to pray with you. If you want to come and you want to start this year by professing faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
by saying that I'm not going to hope in anything else but in Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, now's an opportunity for you to do that as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's respond to this message. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together at the beginning of the year, Lord, to learn about the hope that we have in Christ, to learn that we can continue to hope in Christ because he is the one, he is the only one who provides us with, with true hope. God, help us as we begin this year. No matter what happens this year, we have no idea what the future holds, no idea what, what is to come, but that we might continue to place our hope in Christ and in Christ alone. Lord, if there's someone here today or if there's someone watching online today who doesn't yet know you, who has spent time placing their hope in all kind of other stuff, in the things of this world, and they've found that, that it's just hopeless. Would you work in their heart this morning so that they would know that, that this life is not ultimately hopeless, that there is hope, and that there is hope in Jesus and Jesus alone, and that they might turn to him and experience the hope that only he can provide. In all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.